Welcome to the Progression Health Podcast. I'm here with Melissa Lynn. Melissa, do you want to introduce yourself? my small business, Strength and Intent. Um, and I basically primarily do virtual coaching for individuals who are seeking a lot of fitness and nutrition coaching. So that's basically who I am in terms of surface level information. Um, but I can go a little bit deeper into that. Yeah, you have the, the I love the blend of having the uh, education and also the experience. I think that's like the sweet spot of a practitioner as a health professional. So um in your work, you know, who, who are the, the typical clients that you see and what what would be like your specialty, you know, kind of outside of that? Yeah, so I first off like started working a lot primarily with gen pop, so general population, individuals who are looking to work out or eat healthy for the first time, or maybe people who kind of have an idea of what they're doing, but still kind of feel lost. Uh, I would say my specialty kind of almost lies within primarily gen pop. That's about 80% of the people that I work with at strength and intent, but the other 20% of individuals, I actually work with athletes, uh, primarily bodybuilders and powerlifters. So that kind of bounces off of like my own personal experiences within my health journey, along with my own like athletic journey, as you would say, (laughs) um, I'm only like just a baby in these sports. So I wouldn't really call myself that much of an experienced athlete or at least an advanced one. Um, but yeah, that's uh, basically who we serve and who I primarily work with. And I love working with both of them. Um, I think it's, it's awesome to kind of niche or work with two different populations or expand yourself when it comes to these like areas, because there's a lot of overlap when it comes to their care. For sure. Yeah. It's kind of just like, I think, uh, in my experience, both groups, like someone who's, you know, let's say competitor versus gen pop, I think they're, they're going down the same path, but one's just gone maybe a little bit further. That would be like my experience, but, um, yeah. So then, uh, in your, in your work with your clients, like you, you just said healthy eating is something that people will be new to. And for me, I'm like, oh, of course, everyone knows how to eat healthy or they know what healthy food is. You know, there's all this information out there. But as we were saying off air, it's like uh, the clients, they're not typically as maybe obsessed with their fitness like I would be, for example, yeah. <laughs> just have this irrational, just sort of like, oh, everything's about fitness. So, yeah. Can you just talk a little bit about like your experience? So I'd be coming from a place of I would think everyone would be aware of how to eat healthy. But yeah. is that, you know, is that like a, maybe a myth or, you know, do people know the basics generally when they come working with you? Yeah, I would say with at least the population that I work with, um, I think if I I took like 10 steps back and looked at it at the bigger picture, generally, I would say, yes, people do know what it means to eat healthy, like respective to what they've been exposed to in terms of education or social media, peers, et cetera, right? Like eat your vegetables, eat your protein, yada, yada, yada. But when you kind of like look deeper into an individual like case, um, I've actually come by a lot of different types of clients where I might ask like a a simple question as to, you know, how would you describe your diet or what does it mean for you to eat healthy? And they have no clue where to start. And it's really like surprising, mainly just because um, even though like I know for even myself, when I was um, studying dietetics back in college, we were taught to never make assumptions uh, for certain populations or certain individuals for them to know exactly what they are meant to do. They only know but so much in terms of what they've been exposed to. So maybe for my population, a lot of them are middle class, a little bit of like upper class. But if I talk to a little, uh, a lower, lower class or lower socioeconomic class, right. um, They might not even know where to start mainly just because their needs are basically like survival healthy for them means making sure that they have enough food to get to the next day. Um, So it is really interesting to see like where that comes from when we're talking about like the clients that I work with, they have an idea, but I would say that it's very minimal and health to them is very respective to them and their lifestyles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Socioeconomic status really affects 
helped so much. Yeah. It's like uh, not everyone has got the same opportunities. So that's a really good point to, mm-hmm. to mention. And what, what is the kind of the, the key thing about that, you know, someone's socioeconomic status that kind of affects how they look at nutrition or their eating habits? That's maybe it's a, a tough question. It's a, it's quite a, yeah, like maybe off topic, but like, yeah, if, in your opinion, if you had to yeah. make an educated guess through yeah. experience, yeah. Because I think a lot of people aren't aware of this. For example, they might say like, I should be able to, you know, this person on Instagram did this and I should be able to eat like that. And yeah. why can't I do it? And it's like, uh, well, socioeconomic status is one factor among many. So yeah, right. maybe just talk oh my a little bit about that. I, I feel like I can go down a rabbit hole with this one. Um, not just socioeconomic status, education levels, priorities, right? Um, your your situation when it comes to your own household. I like I come across so many people who has said the same thing, and these are people who are like well off in their their journeys, and they're like, well, so and so can do this, like on Instagram, and I've heard that comment over and over. Why can't I? And I was like, well, she's a, a single individual working, you know, a, at a six figure job. Um, you live at home with your spouse and your two kids and you're trying to feed a family of four uh, while she has the means to be able to pay for all this and make sure that she has like enough like money to be able to invest in these parts of her life. Right. And then you might even say the same for someone who is lower class. They, they might kind of look at you crazy eyed and just be like, I don't care about like needing to get like vegetables in. Like I got to make sure that like my family doesn't stay hungry until like the end of the week, because we're kind of like scrapping for pieces. Um, And that's a a big conversation that we as providers, we're so privileged to be able to share this knowledge with other people. Um, But I think that sometimes we are blindsided at the fact that we forget our privilege and where people come from when it comes to their nutrition or their fitness um, and kind of project our biases on these, these people, because we're just like, well, why don't you care about this stuff? right? Like who cares if you have a a family of four that you need to feed? Like you should be worried about like your cholesterol right now. You're intaking so much McDonald's, but that's not, that's not what they see. They see something completely different compared to what we do and our experiences, our upbringing, um, our exposure plays such a huge role in that aspect of nutrition and like fitness. It really does. Yeah. I'm just thinking of the buy-in for me. It's kind of like, I'm already sold on like maybe the message of fitness, you know, I'm like, I bought, you know, uh, you know, all the stock and fitness and, and exercise and nutrition. I'm like, yeah, you know, completely bought in. But I think something I see with the general population is that they're not fortunate enough to recognize that. And then in addition to that, so, so they're maybe not fully bought into the benefits of fitness, but then also they expect the most, you know, mm-hmm. whereas for example, I've been training for a while. I don't expect to make a whole lot of progress with my fitness or my health. Um, I just kind of expect almost to maintain um, and I think in the general population, there's like a misconception of like, I should be able to lose X amount of weight, build X amount of muscle in this really short span of time, you know? And I'm like, you know, I don't want to be too direct with a lot of clients, but I'm like, that is, you know, you're asking to like make a million dollars in six months, you know? And I'm like, you know, we can't, you know, expect that to happen. Maybe it will, but it's just not realistic. And I'm just like, <laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't break it to a client either, but like, yeah, that goal is, you know, that's good goal but you know we might have to adjust the expectations or your buy-in um or even you mentioned the word exposure it's kind of like exposure to something like social media or messages in society or advertising or something it's like people are getting sold the weirdest messages or you know i think their messages are definitely getting better but um yeah with with your clients do you do anything around like buy-in or expectations or maybe the psychological side of nutrition Absolutely. That is a big part of what I do personally as a provider is for them. And I meet a lot of the same clients as you do is um, most of my inquiries are always a lot of the the same similar goals. I want to lose X in X amount of time, um, or I want to do this in X amount of time. And it's almost as if um, dietitians, nutritionists, personal trainers have been advertised in a way where we overpromise a lot of our delivery or overpromise like a lot of results. Uh, and it has, it's come to that point where that's the expectation, right? If you're investing in this, you know, they hope that they're going to walk out of this three months later, completely different, but usually that's not the case. Um, 
I try to advertise myself uh, a little bit more as a, a more holistic provider. I don't like to la label myself as a holistic provider, mainly just because like, I think that the way that media portrays holistic providers is completely different from what I perceive it as, but more so just, again, looking at the person as a whole beyond what they eat, beyond what they do in exercise. But what do you do for a job? What do you do outside of that? What do you value in terms of your social experiences? Do you travel a lot? Do you enjoy like having dinner with your, your partner here and there? Or do you really like to go uh, have, you know, go to the bars every weekend? And like, how does that like align with what you are trying to achieve? And even though that that is the message that I try to put out, I still have clients come to me with those like same exact goals. And I think they do understand somewhere deep down that I'm not going to promise them something that is very quick more so they understand that this is going to be a longer process. They do want something more sustainable, but they have no clue where to start. They have no clue that their job or that their family matters or their, their social outings with their friends play some type of role in how they navigate their diet and um, their training. And that's where increasing that awareness around that really like sheds light on the process. And they're like, well, I had no idea that like alcohol contained this much and that me going to the bars three times a week was doing much harm. Or I had no idea that what I do in my social settings with my friends, like had any like impact on what I do. I thought I just had to care about my diet at home when I work. So it's kind of like integrating all of those things into the conversation through coaching gradually. It's really overwhelming for them to all take in. But I think they completely understand like the value it has when it comes to understanding them as a bigger person. Yeah, I think uh, you can't just look at the nutritional habits. I think their whole life goes into it, but um, not overloading people as well and making them focus on their their health 24-7 is definitely not a place we want to get. Um, so just with uh, your own kind of experience as as a competitor, so you've, you've done... Uh, bodybuilding I think or figure I'm not sure so we, we can talk about that and then yeah. bodybuilding I'm um, not sorry not bodybuilding but powerlifting so um yeah. can you just talk a little bit about your experience with that and you know what was your motivation for that because it, they're quite challenging things to do on their own so yeah especially at the same time it's like um yeah how how, how was that experience it's funny yeah I <laughs> I started out with bodybuilding first I remember three or four years ago I started seeing bodybuilding around. I competed in bikini, by the way, and I'll go into a little bit more about that. But I I saw it. And during that time, I was still kind of struggling with a lot of disordered eating habits or disordered behaviors. And I looked at that and I was like, that is something that I will never, ever do. There's always, it's very well known that a lot of body, body bodybuilding competitions often result in poor outcomes when it comes to food or individuals relationships with their food or their body. And it was something that I was just like, I don't get it. I totally don't understand it. Why would anyone put themselves through that throughout the years, like through college, throughout my internship, I was fortunate enough to be exposed to really amazing educators like Eric Helms, Eric Trexler, Greg Knuckles, all of those people in those spaces and really getting to see that it doesn't have to be that way. And there is an approach to be able to come out on the other side, healthy, quote unquote, relative to the sport. And I use that phrase so often because it is a very intense sport within itself. And I understood like the implications that it had. Um, beyond that, I also had friends who had competed too. And I just kept asking myself, how do they do it? Like, I mean, they seem like they are not disordered, quote unquote, uh, at least the way that they put themselves out there. And I, I kind of just like it started interesting me in a way where that new exposure was like, OK, like I think I want to try it, not for the sake of like making this like a weight loss competition or anything like that. But I wanted to approach it in a way to almost prove myself wrong when it came to the outcomes I wanted to like go in there and be like I can come out of this better I can do this without facing a lot of the stuff that I 
had experienced way back in like high school and college when it came to disordered eating or thoughts or anything like that. And I made sure that I did. I like, I started working with a really great coach. And one of the things that at least when I was like, you know, listening to podcasts of Eric Helms and Alberto Nunez, they, they said, make sure that you're researching a really, really like well, well-known coach that is known to care. And I think that is one of the biggest reasons why people walk out of bodybuilding feeling incredibly disordered because a lot of bodybuilding co- like coaches will only care about the money aspect. They want to get you on stage as quick as possible, get you the quickest, fastest result. Um, and that's how they grab that quick buck. But after, no, they'll just let you go. So started working with a coach that I knew that really cared and they understood my, my history. They understood what to look out for in terms of what I had expressed with my, my past. And we took it really slow. I mean, incredibly slow. My prep was about seven months. Um, and that was the longest diet I have ever done in my entire life. It was the only successful diet I have done in my entire life. So you were, you were in a deficit for seven months. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was quite Very counter, uh, the, the norm the kind of approach to a fat loss phase, but yeah, that's, that's why yeah. I think it works. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I basically got into it to prove myself wrong. And throughout that I set kind of all the, like these checkpoint measures to ensure that I was okay. I made sure that I had a support system that fully knew and understood my history that I knew that I could reach out to whenever I felt low during those times. Cause I knew it was bound to happen. Um, and more importantly, being honest with myself and those who are around me. I think when you are very secretive about the way that you're experiencing that bodybuilding process, it can become a very slippery slope, expressing my needs to my coach, my friends, my family, everyone. And when I came out on that other side, it was ultimately, I would say personally, one of the best things that had ever happened. I had very little issues with wanting to gain weight again. I did my reverse diet and I did it myself because lo and behold, I wanted to prove myself that I could do it and (laughs) I did it. And it was one of the best things that I could have done for at least me and saying, wow, I could put myself on stage and I could also come out of this, do a recovery diet and not have any weird feelings about my body image or my food. It was amazing for me, at least. I mean, I think that there were some things here and there where I was like, that strikes a little bit of a concern, but nothing that I couldn't talk through with like my support system. Um, and that was long. I like apologize about that, but the bikini was just like a, for me, obviously it's not as intense as like bodybuilding or figure or fitness, but it was still pretty harsh, like seven months in a deficit with periodic refeeds and diet breaks here and there rarely and training really, really hard for four to five days per week. It was rough. <laughs> and I'll, I'll just say that that was probably my first time. And I maybe won't step up on stage for, for quite, quite some time. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. So I love the idea that you really do have the education, but also the experience because to be able to work through something like an issue with food and then to like try and go and do something as challenging as a, a figure competition and to set the goal of, you know, uh, not having the same side effects occur again is like really impressive. That's really hard to do. So you just mentioned support and, you know, I, I kind of made the point of like health professionals, they've kind of gone down the same path as the general population, but they just maybe have gone further. So even though you had a lot of support competing, I, I still would say that or argue, you know, just in my opinion that like even someone, uh, a general population person just in a, standard fat loss phase first one they would still need support as well so what are some things like maybe that you know you would advocate for or recommend or what are some kind of ways that people can get support and let's let's say you know we'll, we'll take you know the example of a client in a fat loss phase or whatever whatever they're trying to do with their nutrition um why would they need support to do it you know they see instagram fat loss phase you know everyone should be of a certain weight i should be able to do it easily uh maybe i've done it before i'm just going to go and do it my myself why, you know, why the case for support or why did you feel uh, support was needed um, and how could it relate to like someone in the general population? Yeah. So personally for me um, during my prep and even when I pursued like my own personal general fat loss phases, I personally believe that having support is 
one of the biggest keys to success in any goal that you have fat loss, muscle gain, anything like that, mainly just because at the end of the day, humans are very social creatures. We crave some sort of connection when it comes to our external environment. And when it comes to goal setting, behavior change, those types of things, that's not easy. And like, whether we believe it or not, or whether we truly think that we are capable of doing things on our own without having to express those needs to others, it is it possible? Yes. Will it make things a little bit harder? Also, yes. Mainly just because when you can't express your emotions or feelings around that process, it makes it very difficult for someone who is going through it, feel validated in their experiences or feel heard. So you might be internalizing a lot of feelings or almost gaslighting yourself through the entire process of saying like, no, this is how I am supposed to do it. I read this here and there, or like someone told me this. So like, I have to do it. And that's the only way. And I have to be disciplined enough. I have to be motivated enough. No one else can, can support me in that, or no one else can like, you know, show me otherwise. And that's where external support can play a huge role in being able to make a fat loss or muscle gain approach very successful. You need some other opinions here and there, but you can always ask for it. You don't always have to just be like, oh, give me advice all the time. Um, But you could just say like, I just need someone to listen. I need to vent. I need to someone to validate like what I'm going through because otherwise I feel like I'm going to go nuts. Yeah. So I've had a coach myself and that's like a very uh, like similar experience where it's like, I'm doing this difficult thing on my own and, you know, uh, it's, it's quite challenging and there's not a lot of people I can look to, uh, to relate with. Um, so what would a coach like what, you know, as a coach yourself, what would kind of be like some typical things that, you know, let's say someone hasn't, they're listening, they haven't experienced working with a coach before where it's like, oh yeah, I know I can provide this or help them in this way, or maybe even, having been coached yourself, you know, uh, that support was like invaluable, maybe a a particular time or moment. So what experience as a client or uh, as a coach, can you point to that the support really kind of came through or it was like a very important point where someone was struggling and they really needed the support of a coach? You know, yeah, I'm actually going to go into my powerlifting experience now because I know that you had mentioned that. Um, And so even as a coach myself, I actually have my coach for powerlifting and I am my worst critic. And I know my clients are, they're also their worst critics when it comes to the progression. We are the number one nitpickiest people on the planet when it comes to our own like progress. And so, for example, I'll send my coach a, a video, a form check video, and I'll start to point out everything that I see wrong. I'm like, my hips were a little bit higher. I was leaned far too forward saw a little bit of this. I I didn't take the slack out of the bar. Like, I'm so sorry. didn't lock out my knees. And he's like, he takes the ball and he's looking at me like, you did everything correct. Like, I have no idea why you are like tearing yourself apart here. You can be as critical as you want to be. But at the end of the day, I think when we go through this alone, support really comes through and being able to show you that there is positives that come out of your journey. You can be as like mean to yourself or critical to yourself as you want to, but at least like pointing out and like the things that you should be proud of, how far you've come, those little small wins. I think that's where support really does help because we can be so self-critical. And if we can't have others, at least just come in every once in a while and show us that, that compassion that we deserve to show ourselves, like we show to others, um, that can be really hard. Yeah, we can easily sort of be our own worst enemy or overlook the progress that we're making or yeah, little milestones. So yeah, that's just in my experience, what a coach really is, is good for. Um, and even bouncing ideas around, you know, two heads are better than one. So just uh, something I'm thinking of is, you know, you said in your prep that you kind of had like, it's set up in such a way where you're like, you'll reach out for like help or um, you will kind of know like what to look for in terms of I'm on the right track or the wrong track. I think you kind of said, so it's like, you know, how did you set it up differently? So I guess you didn't repeat the mistakes of the past or have any kind of issues with your nutrition. Like what were some of the things you did that maybe, you know, a listener could take from and say like, you know, okay, um, I should try and avoid these things uh, when I'm in a fat loss phase, or these are markers that maybe my relationship with food is in a good place. Yeah. I've had this conversation 
so many times, but I think before even starting my biggest check mark that I wanted to ensure that I had was, do I have a healthy relationship with food? Have I spent an adequate amount of time ensuring that I was eating enough, eh, enough like calories, enough food groups, enough diversity in terms of nutrient dense foods versus less nutrient dense foods, right? And ensuring that I could look at food objectively most times. I think subjective means when it comes to food matters a lot, but when it comes to objectivity during prep, that's going to be the most crucial time. I think a lot of the times people will walk into prep thinking that they have to eat clean and that they cannot cheat. Uh, I hate using those terms, but that's usually the way it goes, right? And that's where the whole spiral comes into play when it comes to screwing with their relationship with food or their body. Same thing with my body too. I, I personally loved my physique before I even started prep. And I think that that was the best thing that I could have ever checked off was I didn't hate what I looked like. This prep was not a purpose for me to transform my body. It was not a means for me to only focus on physique, even though it was a physique competition. There was a deeper level of reasoning and motivation as to why I wanted to compete. And it had a lot more to do with my knowledge my capabilities, my grit, my determination, um, and less to do about what I looked like, even though, again, it is a physique competition. Um, But I tried not to make it solely about that because then I would be spiraling. And I think that that is one of the things that people should check off as. And there's a bunch of different things that I think other people should do before starting a prep. But I think those are the two biggest things when it comes to nutrition and body image is just ensuring that you're in a really safe spot physically and mentally before even stepping into something as intense as like bodybuilding prep yeah oh it's yeah so so intense um from what i hear i haven't done it yet but i've <laughs> i've I followed on, bodybuilding on stage 2024 yeah uh maybe 2034 <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so just body image is something you mentioned there so it's like uh you know something i, I see uh, a lot is like, oh, if I just lost five pounds or 20 pounds or whatever, I'll, I'll be happier. And body image is something I think is, you know, the longer I've been around, the more I've heard about it as a health professional. And it's kind of like, it's hard to kind of understand what it is. So like, why, you know, if someone's listening, like, why is body image important? Like, why would it matter? It's like, you know, maybe someone just wants to lose 10 pounds. It's like, would I not be, you know, better off? if I just lost 10 pounds, you know, and disregard body image altogether, what would you think of someone maybe thinking along those lines? Body image is so important. It is a perception of who we are, not just the way that we look, but a lot of the times body image perceptions are tied to your own self-esteem. So someone who lives in a larger like vessel could have a positive body image perception, therefore is relating to their higher self-esteem towards themselves. So they don't have to always constantly reach for that. Oh, I want to like lose those like last five to 10 like pounds or whatever. Um, They're truly genuinely happy with themselves. Um, But in the other flip side, right? Those with poor body image tend to also be associated with poor self-esteem. They kind of like view themselves in, in a different light than those who have like a a more positive body image where it doesn't just have to do with their physical like vessel, um, but more so to do with other aspects of their lives that lower their self-esteem, whether that is, you know, I don't have enough social interactions in my life. I feel like I don't have enough friends. Oh, I don't have enough friends because I look this way, right? I am not in a relationship because he, they probably think I'm, I'm quote unquote fat. And so it is one of the I would also say one of the more important relationships for you to have with yourself is not just to appreciate and respect the body that you're in and have a more neutral to pop like positive body image. um, But to also extend that to your own like self-esteem. Are you confident in the way that you carry yourself and other aspects of your life? Or do you feel like you are utilizing your body image in a way to kind of like justify all of these things that are going on around you. Yeah, it is. Uh, well, for me, cause I'm kind of newer to it or I don't like focus on it as much with exercise. Uh, it's, it's like a little bit of a, a minefield in a way, but it's definitely something that's worth like untangling and looking into because um, 
as you said, it's like one of the most important relationships we have. It's like, uh, once you start to learn a little bit about it, you can, you know, start to, uh, really, it's almost like improve your health with like a lot less effort because like exercise and nutrition can be a lot of work. So yeah, definitely something worth considering. I, I definitely wanted to bounce off of that because I, I don't want people to kind of take my message just one way. I think it's important to also just express that the like the way that people perceive their body image is valid for a reason. It doesn't have to just do with like their self-esteem, but it is also like a combination of like their personal experiences, right? We do live in a society where larger individuals or people with undesirable body image uh, or body sizes or body shapes are treated differently. They are in like in so many different ways. And we grow up in like such a weird like diet culture where like we are constantly like hammering people to constantly lose weight or look smaller or have to like look a certain way, you know, having the hourglass shape for women or looking like a pizza for men, you know, your, you know, triangle upper body and like lower small body. Right. Um, and so like, I want to, I want to further validate like people's like body image perceptions, mainly just because I don't want people to feel like they just have to work on their self-esteem towards themselves and think that their experiences are invalidated in any way, shape, or form. It's, it is taught. Poor body image is taught. It is not inherently like a genetic thing. 100%. Yeah. I think, uh, I was kind of like, you know, didn't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but, uh, this is a really good point. It's like, I think from my experience, you know, the older I get, the more I see how people view themselves and their health. It's like, I think we as a society, you know, I'm definitely guilty of this at times is like we put value of a person on their body, you know, not on anything else really. Or it's like that comes first or until their body's a certain way, they don't kind of have the same value as everyone else. And that's like so short-sighted. Uh, it's it's such a, you know, hurtful view to everyone involved. And uh, I think that uh, kind of like you said, we were taught if in a way that's definitely you know, you see that a lot, you know, um, but, you know, where do you think it comes from? And like, you know, I guess, what are some ways that people can kind of like maybe uh, work against the kind of, I would say it's like an overvaluing of body image. Gosh, we can start like as early as like what the nineties, <laughs> the 1900s. Like I literally just like made a post about this an hour ago <laughs> where in the 1800s, right. We had a famine. If you look small and scrawny, you are not desirable. You did not, you were not deemed as healthy. You were not deemed as someone who uh, could carry children. You were not deemed as someone who would have like a long and lustful life. And so if you're like going through that and you, you don't like look like you have body fat on your body. Um, yeah. You're, you're probably like shamed. Right. Then we go into the 1900s and further and that took like a whole nother flip. We have the privilege of being able to know where our next meal is going to be and not experiencing a lot of famine. And now it's gone into the whole conversation of, okay, we have a, a large population or a large like amount of people who are suffering with chronic diseases that are unfortunately also related to obesity. And I think a lot of the times people will grasp at straws when it comes to that conversation of, oh, well, if you're big, I'm automatically thinking that your approaches are possibly unhealthy, right? And if you're unhealthy, you're not going to live a long life. If you're not going to live a long life, why would I want to be around you? Why would I want to do something like that? But medicine has been able to progress over God knows how long in a way that we're discovering that there is... Um, there is a way to live a life where you are considered medically overweight or obese and still have positive health indicators. There are some cases when you do get to a higher level of like obesity, right? 40s, 50s, that tends to be a little bit less like true. Um, but, you know, I think the conversation, as you had mentioned before, we're getting better at spreading like more nuanced messages around health and wellness and what that means and how that like narrative has switched. Media has impacted it. 
medicine has impacted that conversation, the way that we kind of like view our relationships, whether it is intimate or just uh, platonic, that has also shaped it as well. And it's developed like so wildly over the the past like hundreds of years. And I think we're in a better spot where we are like so intellectual and we we think so much deeper beyond just kind of looking at you and just being like I don't value or respect you because you look this way (laughs) yeah it's funny I was just thinking recently of how like you know sometimes I think I'm so intellectual and then it's like at the end of the day I still have biases and like you know um shortcomings like you know that uh it's almost like they are really what's sometimes in control and you know I think it's always good to check them and update like our view of the world on health for uh for the better as well not just for myself um so yeah i think there's so much learning that we can do once you kind of are aware that body image is important it's like it's it's actually probably like you could have you know the best kind of education or like tools with uh exercise or nutrition but maybe it's like if you haven't done any work on body image that could be like a real kind of weak point that could be holding you back so it's definitely something i'd recommend you know people to uh to look into um so Yeah, just you mentioned your your posts on your social media page on Instagram and you have one on uh, is alcohol consumption inhibiting your fitness goals. Um, And, you know, I'm Irish, so it's almost like we're born with a Guinness in our hand and uh, um, it's uh, it's hard to get away from. But um, yeah, it's like kind of like, you know, we learn, you know, certain habits like, you know, learn how to view our body. It's almost like we learn certain ways to socialize, I think, especially in Ireland. And it's like alcohol and socializing really go together. and even here in America as well. So um, it's it's quite tricky to, I think, uh, manage alcohol and, and, your, and your health. Um, so, yeah, how, how can alcohol inhibit people's fitness goals? But then also, like, I know you can definitely drink and be healthy at the same time as well. So it's not like it's not a black or white or either or type of thing, you know. So, yeah. Um, how can it inhibit fitness goals? And then is there any ways that, you know, with clients, you kind of maybe help them, you know, to still have alcohol and pursue their fitness goals. Yeah. Well, first of all, you totally nailed it on the head. I'm like, I come from a background, a cultural background where drinking is huge. Like <laughs> I grew up in a family where that that's all that occurred. I grew up in a culture where if you, you go to the streets of Vietnam, that's all they're doing. That's the way that people connect. And like, I, I think that's also another topic to have is just like, you know, how do we how do we start normalizing alcohol in social settings and like what does that mean for like us as humans like there's nothing wrong with that right there just like the conversation of there's nothing wrong with having a big mac every once in a while nothing wrong with it it's the the frequency and the amounts that is something that starts to become more conducive towards health goal, or less conducive towards health goals so when it comes to how alcohol affects fitness goals for example it play it contributes to like a myriad of different types of processes in the body because it is a depressant and it affects the brain um, pretty deeply, like almost right away. Like that's why you feel drunk, right? Um, You, the first thing is poor sleep, you know, yes, it makes you sleepy. Yes. It makes you tired, but that doesn't mean that throughout the night, you're going to get proper REM cycle. You're not going to get that deep, well-rested sleep. And that's why a lot of people who often are, you know, if they drink a little bit heavier than usual, or they get pretty drunk or something like that, they kind of wake wake up with a hangover. They wake up feeling more exhausted than they did feeling well-rested, even though they passed out as soon as they came home, right? Um, Another ways that the alcohol can affect your fitness goals is that it does impact muscle protein synthesis. So that process um, that helps you grow your muscles, right? So muscle protein synthesis is often induced through training and eating enough protein, calories, et cetera. But when you bring in that alcohol, it almost stunts it immediately through ingestion. So the rate at which you would grow muscle, let's say, for example, you grow like a, a couple tiny 0.0001 grams in that one day for your session of training, it's going to slow that rate down pretty significantly. So you're further delaying the gains that you want to make when it comes to your fitness goals. And uh, there has been research to to suggest that it tends to affect like training bouts 
the day after of training. It's usually done through that as opposed to training maybe a couple days or a week from like the your, your first drink or something like that. So you might have like decreased um, cardiovascular health, decreased like perceptions of strength um, and your just inability to be able to execute your training sessions efficiently. And then we're also looking at declined cognitive function you get drunk, your inhibitions are weakened. So when it comes to that part, you're affecting that part of the brain. Therefore, when you walk into your next session, you might not feel fully there. You might not feel like at your highest cognitive level. So you'll feel a little bit more tired. You'll feel a bit more distracted. It It's a, a weird conversation to have with certain individuals, like someone like me who promotes moderation. And even with alcohol, yes, I would say maybe moderation doesn't look like a couple drinks a day, but maybe once every week or once every like social event. Um, but just understanding like what you're, what you're, what you're consuming is going to impact you in some way, shape, or form, whether it's acutely or chronically, depending on your usage. Uh, it's it's a, a really tough conversation to have with clients sometimes, depending on like how heavy their usage is. But I think everyone knows, like they know the impacts that it has on their fitness goals or their nutrition goals. But there comes that other conversation of it plays a role in social interactions. It doesn't have to, but where did that even start? And like, it, it's become so normalized to the point where it's like, I think at the end of the day, the individual has to decide is this something that I want to be a part of my life for consistently or inconsistently? Um, and I can't decide that for, for a person. I can only help guide them in the direction that they feel is going to be best for their health goals. While also, of course, being ethical in my own way of saying, I don't think it's great to binge drink. <laughs> I don't think it's great to be a chronic alcohol user, but if you want to, more frequently than like the average person and you are, you're still well, your blood levels look great and it's not impacting you in any way, shape or form. I cannot stop you. Yeah. People are going to do what they think is best. Yeah. Even with a, a coach. And uh, yeah, I remember in my experience with, with alcohol, the hardest part was the uh, so, I, you know, you can speak more to this, but with nutrition, like nutrition's hard enough, uh, you know, without a hangover, but like with a hangover or when there's drink involved, it's like, you know, pushing a rock up a hill. So um, can you just talk a little bit more about like, let's say someone, you know, you talked about the muscle protein synthesis effects and uh, cognitive effects. So it's like, um, if someone is trying to build muscle or to lose body fat, or maybe, you know, uh, they're just trying to maintain where they're at, what are the side effects to, you know, their food choices, appetite, satiety, all that kind of stuff in terms of like alcohol, what, what effect would it have? So I, I see this a lot in like my own personal work versus like what we see in research. And I will also say like with my own personal background, I used to be a really heavy drinker. So just kind of pulling from all of those instances, we see a lot of like nuances when it comes to food choices, appetite cueing, especially when it comes to regular alcohol consumption, where some people's appetites during the whole drunk phase, right? They're like, oh, you know what? I'm going to eat this. I'm going to eat that. Your, your munchies or your drunchies are really, really increased because your taste sensations are so heightened and everything tastes amazing. And you don't really get to get that appetite queuing in your stomach where you're full, like because of the, the delayed like cognition, you can't really connect with your gut and say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm full. Like I'm ready to stop. And this is where overconsumption can often um, kind of lead to poor decisions against like someone's like health goals. Um, and, and they're not aware about it most times, or they may be, but because their cognition is like inhibited, they, they don't care at, in that particular moment until they have to deal with the repercussions the next day. And then they wake up, they feel nauseous, absolutely no appetite most times. I don't know anyone who wakes up and has a hangover and feels like they're ready to take on the world with um, a salad and like all this amazing nutrient dense foods, right? I know I didn't. I wanted the greasiest, 
bacon, egg, and cheese that I could find from my local like college mart in the corner of whatever with the greasiest home fries and a nice like hot chocolate or something. And that sat best with my stomach for some odd reason. And I know that is often the same for most individuals. <laughs> Who knows why? Maybe just because it's it's amazingly like tasty. Um, and that's the only thing that we can stomach. And then that kind of all, it starts a cycle. Some people will kind of see that and say, well, I screwed up. I like, what am I doing? I'm going to start to eat clean again throughout the week. And then next thing you know, you're drinking again, you, you cycle through the whole process of losing all your inhibitions when it comes around your appetite queuing and food. Yeah. I think it's not just when, yeah. In my experience, when, when, uh, I would be hung over, it's like, it's not just the inhibitions of when I was, you know, drunk or actually drinking. It's the, maybe even the day after where it's like, I usually would have like a pretty scheduled, you know, breakfast lunch dinner type of thing and that would just kind of go out the window it's like i you know yeah i would have those same kind of food cravings so it makes it a lot more difficult and it would be to my progress you know i would really value my health goals but then if i was if i was drinking it would really just be like almost the impediment to making progress is like sometimes it would be just like those hangovers that would really throw me back a couple of days or maybe a week or something so i think yeah it's like just like body image and the, the trade-offs there of maybe not, not looking at that looking at alcohol consumption is there's a lot to be gained from looking at that too. Um, especially as I think in my experience, people kind of start to value their health more as they get older. We kind of take it for granted. Yeah. Would you, would you see that in, in your clients? Oh my gosh, all the time. You know, the conversation of, you know, as you get older, there's this pers- like misconception that you're bound to start like failing within your health. That at some point in time was true because we knew little to nothing about what it meant to take care of our health. And that was the surprising thing is that you don't have to live your, your life like really poorly when you get to 40 and 50, like your health does not start declining by then. I've worked with a very small population, very, very small, maybe like one to 3% of people who are within their sixties and seventies and are doing 10 times better than the 20 year olds that I work with in terms of exercise, in terms of eating well. And that is where we have that conversation of like, you know, what have you been doing? And they're just like, I, I just make sure that I eat enough. I make sure that I go to the gym regularly and you can increase your overall quality of life at any point in time. I think that conversation of like, when you get older, your health starts to decline. Well, yes, naturally your cells are going to start to die off, especially when it gets to an old age. But that doesn't mean that you have to live a poor quality life. Yeah, that reminds me of a client I have. And he's like, you know, starting January, like New Year's resolutions. I want to keep this going. The weight training, I hear it's, it's good for you. And I'm like, you know, he, so he's looking for my help. I'm like, I'm looking for your help. You are so healthy at 70. I'm like, you give me the the tips because, you know, I can tell that like uh, he's he's uh, been looking after his health. And it kind of just shows that's why he's trying to kickstart his health at 70 but kind of tied into this uh, pretty like related note in terms of like a post you made. So it's like um, people make assumptions about someone's health and their uh, health status and quality of life based on a photo. So, you know, someone, a health professional, anybody, a fitness model, they might look healthy on the outside, but kind of like that point you made of a holistic approach to health, uh, maybe considering the whole person, I'm not sure, because I don't, <laughs> holistic medicine or that, that word, yeah, it's kind of like stigmatized or something, but um yeah so you know basically making assumptions about someone's health status like what could someone be missing um when they just look at someone's like you know kind of going back to the body image just their physique or you know how much they lift or you know all these photos you see on instagram what what more is there to it and what was kind of the inspiration behind that post the whole the inspiration behind that post so a really long time ago I want to say back in 2019 or something like that, maybe 2020, I want to say a magazine had posted or revealed like their, their cover photo of a model who was um, categorized medically as obese or morbidly obese. And I think that we come back to that conversation. What I had mentioned before is, you know, there, there is like the, the conversation that now we know that there is like 
medically healthy, like obesity. But um, the the conversation comes back to, you know, I, I think people make judgments right off the bat when it comes to what they see and what they know. A lot of the times I think the conversation again is always like, okay, we live in a country where now we know chronic disease is associated with obesity or moderate obesity, at least like most times, um, not all the time, right? We can't like always make those assumptions. Um, but the, it gets really, really, it gets nasty in those comments. It was a Twitter post that I saw and I mean, people Twitter's are always <laughs> the worst. Oh. <laughs> Twitter is evil. That's what I'm saying. Uh, their comments are way less kind than like what I see on TikTok or Instagram or anything like that. Oh, same thing with Facebook, but it, it will go into like this, basically this big war, this huge controversy where I'm just like, where did, like, I don't remember any of you guys being a part of this person's like, healthcare team. Because at the end of the day, these are strangers on the internet making assumptions, right? They have nothing to go off of but a photo. And that is it. They don't have health markers to look at. They don't know whether or not this person trains. They don't know whether or not this person's diet is actually pretty decent, but maybe it's just high in caloric density. Or maybe this person has a chronic condition that like causes them to gain weight. Or maybe this is just how this person wants to live their life. And we are so quick to make these judgments and these assumptions about people's health, physical health, at least, and also mental health, because, you know, the next thing you know, people are going to be like, yeah, she's probably so depressed. She's probably so anxious because of the way that she looks and the way that she lives her life. But I think the, the idea behind that post was to just, to never assume anything about anyone's health, physical, mental, or emotional. And because you never know what anyone is going through. And unless, you know, an individual is asking for your, your advice, or maybe like seeking out help, this is where those comments are a little bit more well accepted. And I think the whole freedom of speech thing, yes, great, fine, have it. Uh, but I think sometimes people lose track of that when it comes to how harmful their words can be because you never know who's going to read them. These comments are so impressionable to younger populations. They read that and that's where that body image perception comes into play. Well, if 10,000 comments on Twitter are saying that this person looks awful, they're sick, they're they're gross or they're, that they're like not healthy, I should never get to that state. Flip side, if we're looking at people who are incredibly lean, like we already make that assumption that they're healthy and that they live a, a great life. Yet we also know that sometimes getting to certain like body images, whether it's smaller, you never know how to get there, right? Never make an assumption. You probably think that they eat healthy. You, you probably think that they got there in a healthy way, but this person probably was sick and they had lost 10 pounds because they could barely eat. Or maybe this person was going through chemo, or maybe this person has a severe eating disorder that you have no clue about because eating disorders are you, you never really know what an eating disorder is going to be presented until someone tells you about it or until they are medically diagnosed. And so that, that's where I'm just like, I, a, a colleague of mine once said, you know, never, never assume because that makes an ass out of you and me. And that is where I'll leave that at that. Just, it's not worth it. It's not worth having that conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's actually one reason I use social media less is just because you see so many, you're bombarded with so many different like messages and kind of like points of view and just images where you have to almost either block them out and not make a judgment on them, or you have to be very like kind of nuanced in how you view them. So um, is there any kind of like ways that maybe you use social media? I look at, you know, cause so many people use it now and there's so many messages like, you know, the posts that we're referring to or, the, the other different types of fitness models so it's like how could people use social media but also kind of maybe like I don't want to say protect feels like you know protect their own kind of body image you know kind of protect themselves because like you know you see 10,000 comments on a post like the one you're referring to of the, the sports illustrated model and it's like oh that must be bad and it's like we just like you said you know we don't know what's going on and you know people are free to do whatever they want so yeah. How can we protect against, how can we protect our own kind of body image 
while maybe using social media at the same time? I have that conversation all the time with my clients. Like, <laughs> start catering your feed to things that work best in your favor when it comes to reshaping your body image perceptions. Um, and that it starts with like, <laughs> and this is a funny thing because I hate using this term, detoxifying your social media, going through all of like these like profiles that may or may not like cause like positive associations with how you feel versus negative associations. I know I personally did that for myself back in college and it was one of the best things I've ever done. And I still do that to this day because I might start off by saying, wow, I really love this person. I want to follow them. They make me feel good about myself. More and more importantly, they make me feel informed and educated about my own health versus dang, I want to be like them. All they do is make me feel like shit every time I scroll past their feed. Like if these are the feelings that are popping up into your head, that might not be the best profile to follow. Sometimes even turning off likes or not one, like, I don't know if there's a feature to turn off comments in a way for other people, but it's always helpful to start to mindfully think about an action you're about to take, especially if you know in the past that doing something has always caused more harm than good. Absolutely. Yeah. Just to kind of check in with yourself and see what effects following certain people has like it could, that can really affect your health, especially over the long term. So just to kind of bring it like back full circle, we talked a little bit about the uh, importance of body image. Um, but we're talking a lot about like the kind of psychology of, of nutrition. So like, let's say someone was to improve their their body image, their relationship with their body image. What effect would that have on their eating habits um, and their nutrition kind of like practically, you know? So, okay, they they feel better about their body image than before, say, starting working with you you know, would they see noticeable changes in their nutrition and their physique? What, what benefits would they experience? If any? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I found that more individuals with positive body image tend to have less preoccupation around their food. So they tend to swing less in this pendulum of that black and white matter, right? Uh, I get to eat clean during the weekends. I, I mess up on the weekends or you know what I mean? <laughs> Weekdays and weekends. And um, they they have a less polarizing outlook and less dichotomy around like food itself. So their perception of the food that they eat is nourishment. It is something that fuels their body. It is something that is a part of social experiences that they value. And it is something that they enjoy to have a part of their life. It is like an extension of who they are versus those with poor body image. You often see those kind of just picking a part of their food, not just because like, oh, it's this gross or whatever, but they see, they start to kind of like put those labels on it, those morals, good, bad. This is good for me. This is bad for me. Um, I, I want to eat more of this. I want to eat less of this. If I do this, then I'll be able to do this, blah, 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 whatever. Those with positive body image tend to kind of take that lens off of food and view it more objectively. And, and that is one of like the more like, most neutral way that you could approach food is to view that in a sense of like it's nourishment it's experiences it's culture it is so much more than just a way to manipulate your body but when you do get to that point the and I always say this I support physique changes obviously I did a physique show but I support them in a way that comes from a place of neutrality I support them in a way that if we were to put you through this I am never, ever going to want to put you at risk for like worsening your relationship with food or worsening relationship with your body. It's not worth it because ultimately your mental health matters above all. So yeah, I mean, your physical health like is too, but at what cost when all of this up here is going to crap? Yeah, 100%. That's so much like my experience where having worked with a coach myself, I can get the same results from my training and, you know, my nutrition with almost, it feels like, it feels like I'm mailing it in, in a way, or I'm putting in half the effort, but I'm not. It's kind of just like, I've done a little bit of work and that obsession with food or that kind of, um, just really kind of working really hard at my nutrition. I don't have to work as hard and yeah. sure, sure. There is times, you know, if I was to really, you know, pursue a health goal, like uh, a powerlifting meet or 
a bodybuilding show, I probably would have to learn that skill. But um, yeah, kind of, I'm at, a, I'm at a place, and I think a lot of people can get there as well, like where they don't have to put as much work in. And um, it's almost like they've become, they can become more efficient with their nutrition. So they can, it's almost like maybe half the work is put in and they get the same results, which is like a huge win where you can focus on so much more of your life. Oh my God, absolutely. And that's like probably the best way that I could have ended it off is like, you become so much more efficient at what you eat and how you train. You get more efficient results from that matter. And I think that that's where people start with is the results, but they don't work on the things that help lead to that like efficient approach. And I, yeah, you you nailed it. Well, you're, you're the expert on nutrition. So um, you, you're the one who's able to teach people. But um, yeah, I just definitely can can resonate with having a better relationship with food. And it's definitely, you know, we eat food every day. It's definitely something that's worthwhile pursuing and working with someone such as yourself. So um, yeah. thank you very much for your time, Alyssa. Is there anything you wanted to mention uh, before we wrap up? Uh, well, first of all, thank you again for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, and I thank you again for your time. Uh, I, I don't think I have anything else to say other than, you know, if if you are looking to work on your relationship with your food or your body, or you're learning about nutrition and training for the first time, or even if you are someone who's a fan of your